And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? I'm trying to define the requirements that are necessary for me to have a successful plan. And uh, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. I think you might be able to help me out. I'm hoping my wife doesn't have any requirements for me this weekend. Is what I'm yeah, hoping. me too. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, and if the, and if, if they do that, those said requirements are clear and concise and within the capability and resource set that each of us have and functional. Yes, I agree. Well, well stated. Yeah. Uh, according to a survey, 39% of, hu- of husband uh, honeydew lists fail due to, poor, <laughs> due to poor requirements being listed. So we'll talk more about that after I let you and remind you, let you know and remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team visit fullscale.io to learn more matt you know if you go to fullscale.io and you're going to answer like two minutes worth of questions and the platform uh, it'll match you up with people that do stuff that you need done it's pretty that cool. meet my requirements yeah they'll meet your that you can define your requirements and then <laughs> they will meet them and yeah you can click a couple buttons just schedule an appointment see if the people are right for you and maybe get started or maybe keep looking so heck yeah but yeah made it pretty easy to define those requirements now when it comes to part 3 of our eight part series about the software development life cycle today we're going to talk about defining requirements and while i was jokingly uh, stating that 39% of honeydew uh, list items fail due to poor requirement analysis. In reality, I was using a stat that 39% of software projects fail due to poor requirements and analysis. And this is, uh, I would be willing to bet that, that with the last, that that number's gone up even more with a new found uh, uh, remote team uh layout because th- th- this is where defining I think if you're working in a remote or hybrid environment this is where defining requirements becomes even more essential to getting stuff done what are your thoughts on that well you've heard me say this before many times I feel like so much about software development is a team sport right and so much of it is about one simple thing communication yep and if I don't know what needs to be done or not to do and how to do it and all just like basic stuff, just communicate and tell me what I'm doing. No different than your honeydew list. Like she sent you for paint, but didn't tell you what color <laughs> or if it was high gloss or matte or didn't tell me the details. Yep. <laughs> right. Like if you don't have the details, like you're, you're going to fail. Okay. Well, that's true. I mean, and not understanding that. Uh, is is 
I mean, if you don't know what you're supposed to do or how to do it, getting it done quickly or accurately or without it being a pain in the butt. And this is a two way street. It goes both ways. Like, you know, and I, I feel that it's kind of like, uh, you know, you mentioned the paint thing, but people are like, Hey, we need to build some software that doesn't tell me anything, you know, Let's or build like, some stuff. Yeah. Hey, we need to do this. We need to do that. And that, and, and that's a challenge. So, you know, when we talk about actual functional versus non-functional requirements and all this different stuff, I mean, Matt, you know, you're, you're the, you're the technical founder of the two of us. So like, let's, I'm going to let you kind of lead off and, and bring us into this journey about, you know, what's, what are the, some of the key points. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, with nearly 40% of things failing due to poor requirements, what usually goes wrong at this stage and why? Well, so our last episode was about planning, right? And requirements is, is all a byproduct of, of planning. And, you know, in the last episode, we, we talked more about kind of strategic level planning and, and, you know, getting, you know, the leadership team to all agree on what's important and then actually setting goals and figuring out the initiatives and, and the higher level part of this, right? And I feel like today's episode is more about getting into the weeds of, of the more detailed requirements, but it's all a byproduct of, of the planning and you got to do good product uh, planning at a, at a higher level before. Um, for example, the company I work at today, which is called Camp Digital, you know, what they felt like were the highest priorities and were, were had, you know, all the requirements for and were the most important things. When I started, I reassessed all of that and figured out everything that they were focusing on was the least important of all the stuff that needed to be done. And, you know, that that's all a byproduct of the planning. But, but when you get into the details of these requirements, the problem is sometimes people feel like, my point is, they feel like there's certain requirements that are like really, really important. And then that kind of almost drives the planning when it's the other way around. You know, you got to focus on the high level objectives first and the requirements kind of drive those. But sometimes people get so focused on the requirements, like they think that they have to fix, like one of the things we, we start, when I started, they, they're like, we have to upgrade the version of Angular, like it's a requirement, we have to do it. And I, I, I joined the company, I'm like, okay, sure, it's an old version of Angular, why do we have to do that? We only use it internally, we have like 10 people that log in and use this thing. If we don't do it, what happens? Yep. What is the worst thing that can happen, Right. But the problem is software developers get bent out of shape about shit like this. And all of a sudden they think this requirement is the most important thing. And then it therefore drives all the planning. They scare the shit out of the non-technical people in the room to thinking that this is the most important thing. Where I looked at it and I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't care about that. What, what's important to our customers? How do we yep. create more value? And let's change, let's figure out what those requirements are, right? I think you have, I think you have a good point with the internal versus the external tool. You know, and I've always looked at different things, you, you know, there's what we see and then there's what our users or subscribers see. And uh, you have a great point, like, you know, and, and I think it's actually a great example, like a, a new and improved version of Angular for the internal tool doesn't bring users, it doesn't save subscribers, it might <clears throat> make it feel or look a little slicker. Uh, but that's not, that doesn't necessarily need to be a key priority. Now, something on the user end or where people are paying, I could validate that argument maybe a little bit, or if sure. it sat around, if, if it was a matter of technical debt, 
you know, like, Hey, if we don't do this soon, it's, it, you know, it's going to be real expensive down the road. Um, so before we get too far into this, I think we should also talk about boundaries and what scope creep is. Cause if you don't, if you're bound, if your, if your requirements are poorly set or not defined, you can end up with, with the, um, not desirable, uh, situation of well matt what's scope creep well it's when you know you set a a defined set of goals but people just keep adding shit to the goals right it's like winning the super bowl is not enough (laughs) now you've got to win seven years in a row and and it's like it just keeps going and that's inevitable in planning is you, you set goals and like these are the things we need to accomplish but people just keep adding more and more to it, which some of it's job security. It's great. Like, Hey, I, we have more work to do. But for example, we, we talked before in another episode about our internal tool at full scale called rocks. And, and it's like, once you define like, Oh, we need it to do X, Y, and Z, like let the team go get it. And then we'll move on to the next project after that scope creep comes in. If you keep adding shit to the first project, then you never get to the second project. Inevitably that's what happens. And that's the problem. You just, it just keep adding, 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 adding to the first project. Should which some of this stuff might just require further review and analysis about what the priority level is. And if we wanted to put it in real world examples, it's like, if we were talking about football, we'd be like, we're going to run a running play, a passing play, a running play, a passing play, and then a running play. And we're all calling that all in one huddle, you know, rather than sitting back and seeing, okay, did this work? Do we, do we move the ball forward? Cause you might have a different situation or I don't know. It's just scope creep is, uh, really deadly, especially if you, uh, well, it's, it how it's probably most deadly for people that provide that build software for other people. It, so it definitely is costly, right. To, to, yeah. to that, to that point, I think, but so where this is really deadly for say a startup is like, Hey, we're building a mobile app and you can make the decision early on of like, Hey, we're only going to support Android or we're only going to support yeah. Apple or whatever. And then we're going to ship the product. Well, instead, somebody at the 11th hour decides, oh, no, 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 we can't only ship on Android. We have to support Apple and we have to support a mobile web app version. And you're like, hey, we're just never going to launch the product. Yep. Uh, let's just keep building more shit. And then what happens? You spend a whole lot more money trying to build the Apple version and whatever. And like more weeks and months go by and you never shipped anything. And, and that's the kind of scope creep that is so fatal to a startup because they don't focus on just shipping something, getting out the door, this type of scope creep kills them. Yeah. You can see, so you also talk about functional versus non-functional requirements and like, what's the difference. So non-functional requirements focus on what users expect from your system. Meanwhile, functional requirements lay out what the system should do. And, you know, there's, there's a, a little difference there. So like, um, you know, and once again, user expectation. So, I think when you talk about scope creep or non-functional requirements, sometimes these things really balloon into big things because a lot of people get one little bit of feedback from one user and want to just change the whole system. Yes. And that, I mean, that, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so that's like, that's like almost like a gateway drug to, uh, to scope creep and, and stuff like that. So you get one user that's like, I really wish this did this and it affects their business, but you know, if you stop and now I'm not saying don't listen to your users because you need to listen to them. 
But as you, if you're a regular listener, you know that you probably know what I'm going to say, and that's listen for the echo. And that echo is is um, you know that echo is a, a a big thing. It's something that. Um, you know, the echo is like the resounding sound, like you, not just one person asking, it's like five or six people asking or, or, or more. And, and then you want to sit back and look at it and you're like, is this is, you know, okay, let's now let's define the requirements. I'm getting a little off track here. So I'm kind of want to move back towards actual requirements and writing this up. Now, uh, most, most of the time, uh, software teams are using a number of different tools and, and, and things. So Matt, what are, uh, JIRA is probably, that's J-R-I-A, provided by a company called Atlassian. I have no yeah, interest in dropping that. You're welcome, Atlassian. Uh, but that is probably, I would say that's probably the most widely used. That's what I use every day. Um, but you can use a lot of things. You can use freaking post-it notes on a you whiteboard. You Trello for free if you need yeah. to. Yeah. You, you can use literally anything. And when you're working on a new project, the, the key thing for me is just defining like very high level projects. Like we need to do this big project, this big project, this big project, whatever it is. And then taking the time for each individual project to do what I would call uh, story points, you know, like story items of like, for example, we're working on a project now from importing data from Google AdWords performance data. So it's like, okay, we got to figure out how do we schedule the jobs that need to run? How do we do error handling? How do we define, you know, how many days were the data? Uh, where are we going to save the data? Like, it's just trying to figure out the, like high level requirements of of what the what the project needs to do. Um, so then the developer knows, like, hey, these are all the things we have to to account for. It's kind of I, I like the the story mapping side of that, like just you know defining at a high level, like kind of the story items of of what needs to be done, and and some of those end up being tasks. Some of them are architecture decisions. Some of them are just notes, right? But it's like they're they're the story items that, that kind of tell the overall story of the project. And when Watson's talking about story, he really is, that word is accurate. You're telling the story of what you need it to do, right? And 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 the why. And look, when you know when, and, and I, I really want to recommend explaining this to the people that build it. Like, what? How would this be used? Why would it be used? And then one thing I mentioned from the planning episode yesterday was also along the lines of, uh, you know, what are the dependencies? So, you know, when you're defining requirements and like you mentioned, okay, so you mentioned something that's going to make or set or change uh, bidding on a cost per click thing. Now, if that, that's one function or feature or requirement, but if you don't know what else that might connect to or what could be affected by any changes that you make, you're probably going to break it. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short on their, their requirements. They get on it. They get on a Zoom call and they're like, hey, we need this to do this, this and this. And then they get off the call and then they're hoping that it gets done. And or they're pissed off when something else breaks and like these things like I mean, this is okay, Matt, you and I are not maybe the best people to follow long, lengthy instructions. But this is a time when that 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 can actually be okay. Now, on the flip side of that, I don't think you need to get too far into the weeds. You know, you don't need if there are some dependencies, um, changes that you make and this could affect this database, it could affect well, I'll use Gigabook as an example. If we so making an appointment and putting that on and off of a calendar is pretty easy. 
that's not the hard part there, but it's connected to 12 different things. You have invoicing, rescheduling, emails, reminder, yeah. follow-ups, surveys, different reports in the dashboards, like all kinds of changes and stuff like that. And, and if you disconnect all those, cause you're trying to do one other thing, well, you're going to end up having to define 12 other things that you need done after that and probably piss off your users along the way. So there's, you mentioned before, like functional and non-functional requirements, and we actually have a great uh, blog post on fullscale.io about this topic. And I think it's worth spending a couple minutes and talking through more details of this, because in any kind of project you do, the answer is always it depends, right? Like depending on what kind of thing you're doing, everything is different, right? And looking through this little uh, list of bullet points on the site, I want to walk through these for for uh, for just a second, okay? So you have things like authentication, that somebody have to log into the app before they could do whatever this thing is. You have authorization, okay? Which users could do this thing? Do I need an audit trail of the fact that whoever did this thing did it? Um, what are the business rules that are related to whatever it is that we're talking about? Like sometimes they can do it, sometimes they can't, or there are different account settings, kind of like what you mentioned earlier, like, you know, all of that. Can they edit edit whatever they just did? Can they undo whatever they just did? Um, how does this interface with external systems? Do I, how, how long do I have to store the history of whatever we just did? How do I delete that so many months or years later? Um, that's just all of the functional side of it. And then you have all the non-functional side of it, which gets into things like capacity, like how, like, in, in performance, right? Like how often, like, can, can we do this a million times a minute? Does it need to support that? Um, what kind of flexibility is there in the system? Maintainability, portability, like what can it work from mobile or not work from mobile? How reliable is this product? Do I have high availability? Is it scalable security? Like all these different things. So there's a shitload of stuff is what I'm saying. And it's really hard when you're trying to figure out a project, figuring out of all the things I just mentioned, which ones are important? Because yeah. it's not all of them. They're not all important. That's a lot of stuff, Matt. There's a lot That's of stuff. a lot, man. There's so much to consider. Why? Why? But if you're a really good software development manager, architect, you know, developer, you've done this for a long time, you know, whenever you're talking to the product owner or the customers about what needs to be done, all these things are going around in the back of your head trying to figure out, okay, for this project, what's important? Like, what of those things we just went through are critical to the project and which ones are a huge waste of time and you don't want to even think about them. And if you define a lot of that stuff in the planning stage, it's going to act as your template down the road. Like what all that stuff you just mentioned, once that's defined once and you, you have now established, Hey, this is how we define <laughs> our requirements. Those are just questions that you put a quick answer in when you're defining the requirement as on, on a top level. Now, if a lot of this seems intimidating, it's because it is. And that's why having some experience or being an expert is a good idea. So finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Go to fullscale.io to learn more. I wasn't kidding about the expert part. Like now, Matt, you're an expert. I'm an expert. We've done this for a while. But if you haven't, find some people. Like whether it's at fullscale.io or somewhere else, I, there is there is a lot to be said 
about having that experience because look how quickly Watson just rattled a lot of that stuff off. By the way, we put it put a link. We'll put a link to that blog article at the Full Scale site in the show notes so you can see it. So, all right. So let, let's move on down the line here, Matt, and talk about a guide to uh, have a quick guide to requirements gathering. So, well, first first off. We would we in the planning phase we began to assign roles. That's still going to be applicable here. Um, you talk about meeting with stakeholders, Matt. What's a stakeholder? Is that someone that's just holding a T-bone in their hand? No, I wish. Um, nice you know, it's usually it. the it, so like at my company we have a product owner, product manager, right? And their job is to drive, help drive this process. But then we have to meet with other stakeholders within the company that would use the product or they have the product expertise or expertise about a certain feature. They're the lead users of whatever it is we're going to do. So, I mean, just like it rocks at full scale, right? You might have people that's like, Oh, we need to go talk to the person who's charge of recruiting because we're working on something that's related to recruiting or we're working on something that helps potential customers find our employees at full scale. So let's go talk to the sales team because, you know, they talk to customers every day and they're, you know, they're up to speed on these challenges and how we need to fix it or improve it, right? It's having the stakeholders that have expertise in the different domains. And then you have the executives and, and, and the managers that have their own crazy ideas of, you know, like the, the salespeople at full scale might have one idea, but then you as a CEO may be like, no, that's a stupid idea. I hate that one, right? And you trump all of it. And so the, the thing is, you have to get all of these stakeholders in a room and agree, or otherwise you just always have conflicting priorities. Uh, this is what a product owner or manager usually does in a lot of yes. cases. And we've used the full scale system. So once again, Julie, our product manager, who does a great job. She goes and talks to the teams and the people that actually use it. Yeah. I think that during the, it, this is why this is such an important thing because it's easy to assume what other people need or want, but go ask them, you know, and like, and my rule one, once again, is, is this annoying? And if the answer is yes, or even maybe yeah. you got more work to do. So that's the first, when I go to, to talk to people that use the full scale system, I'm talking like our, our managers, administrators, recruiters, people like that. I, that's the first thing I ask. I say, well, I'll give you a good example, Matt. So re- recently when I was in, in the Philippines I, and I was with you, we, we went, we went to, we went and drank coconuts on a beautiful Heck island yeah. we there, didn't we? Yeah. You, yeah. Could, you could see that video in the startup hustle chat on Facebook. So come join us and, and talk to us over there. So uh, with that, you know, I sat down with our recruiting team and I, I asked him, I said, what's the most, most annoying thing about our platform? And it was something I had never even thought about. So they spend a lot of time reaching out to applicants. So we have like anywhere from 700 to a thousand people apply for a job at full scale every month. And they're reaching out trying to, so they end up texting with them a lot, but there wasn't in our admin dashboard, there was not a place or a way to search applicants by their cell phone number. So they would send out a text or someone would reply and they're like, who is this? Oh, wow. So they have to go, they had to like go and look manually and they're spending a ton of time doing that. And it was slowing them down. So in that particular case, that's really annoying. And all we had to do was simply add a search field for that to solve that problem right away. Wham, bam, done. A week later, it would, they fixed that before I even left the Philippines. Yep. And, it, and it made it less annoying. And that's a good way to get to the bottom of it. And then also, like, you just talk about, you know, it's, I think it's okay to list assumptions, but don't just make the assumption, like talk to the people that use it. And then 
I think if you're, uh, depending on where you're at in the hierarchy of your business, I mean, you're going to want to get approval um, in certain regards and say, hey, I think this is a priority or this is where we're at. We're going to put, you know, we do regular reviews of our product timeline and then you're going to monitor the progress. Um, you know, sometimes these things don't, uh, I think it's more important to get, set, well, depending on where you're at with your products, a lot of times you'll hear me say, hey, give me something to give feedback on, especially on an internal tool. Like if our clients and users aren't seeing it, then I'm going to say that a lot. Give me something to give feedback on. And then you at least have a start. Well, and, and, that, and, and that's, how, that's how you don't overanalyze. That's how you don't infect your own project with scope creep. Well, and, and so back to your example of like searching by phone number. So that's a great example of like, hey, this seems like a simple enough thing to add to the, the software and, and could be helpful. But then you have, to, you have to get the requirements, right? Like are we searching by the whole phone number? Do I have to put in the area code? Or like in the Philippines, they just have like zero, but it's actually plus 63. It's like, am I searching by plus 63? Am I searching by zero? Am I matching just part of the digits of the number? Am I searching across current employees or just people who are applicants? People that, you know, it's like, what people are we searching for? It's like the devil is always in the details is my point. And sometimes it's figuring out all those little nuances that make it more complicated. And if you don't tell the developers up front, like, oh, I just want to be able to search by the last four digits of the phone number, then they just do some other crazy stuff. <laughs> And it's the devil is always in the details. That's the point. Well, some of that, when you look at it, so I, I thought about five people spending way too much time doing that. If you're looking at cost benefit analysis, yeah. like you can burn through like uh, making people do repetitive stuff or take too long to do simple things can really um, run up your labor cost. And, and, and another thing too, is like, I just to say it again, if it's annoying, people don't want to use it. It's just, that well, simple. So the struggle is always as a developer, you know, you get these kinds of, of little projects. I wouldn't even necessarily call it a project. They're like very small features that need to be added. And it's very easy to spend a lot of time adding those kinds of features. There's nothing wrong with that, but you could be burning massive opportunity costs because there's other bigger fish to fry yep. that could really move the business forward. Right. And that is always the struggle. And that's why a good product owner is really valuable because they have to play that central referee of what's important to the business versus, yeah, Sally keeps saying, oh, we need to search by phone number. And then the next day, it's this other thing, a little little thing here, a little thing here. And those are all great. But those are little ankle biters that are keeping us from doing other really big initiatives. And and that's that's the struggle with with planning and requirements in general is trying to get done what's provides the most amount of value without creating a bunch of scope creep and overcomplicating things like, Oh, we, we wanted to do this phone number search, but it ended up turning into this great massive uh, project because the developers wanted to use Elasticsearch and do this complex searching thing that it would search and rank people and search by all these fields. And it's like, I wanted a phone number search. Instead I got like Google. So you got a machine <laughs> learning algorithm yeah. that, that ranks. That's the problem. Now. Yeah. So Matt, I've got good news. The phone got number good for you, buddy. I got good news. And you know, I, I wake up every day trying to, to better understand how I can make your life easier. So I'm going to use the techniques that I have, uh, that I have polished over the years. Uh, and, and they are also applicable for requirements gathering. So, um, you could use questionnaires, you know, there are, I mean, you can even make a simple Google form and have people fill it out. You have use case scenarios. So that's a written description of how you think your team members will execute or need something. So you can request that from people. 
mind mapping. Ooh. I love mind mapping. That's one of my favorites. I, dude, they tried to map my mind and it looked like an octopus. So they stopped. Like it was everywhere. I think we should but, explain to everybody what mind mapping is. Mind mapping me. is, is visualize is, is visual brainstorming in a lot of ways. And it's helpful for assessing what product requirements uh, might be needed. So we actually at full scale, um, have a whole a ton of our management users platform team uh, use a site called Miro M I R O. Once again, I have no vested interest in using Miro. You're welcome, Miro. It's a mind mapping uh, tool. It is. It's all about visualizing. So what I like about Miro is it's got a ton of templates that are pre-made to help you know. Because you say, "Hey, map my mind. What does that even mean?" How do I draw a wireframe? How do you do any of this? And it's got like hundreds. Miro is a billion dollar company. So it's out there and you can do a lot of sharing. You don't necessarily have to have a lot of users in. You can even, so one of the things that can be challenging for CEOs and founders or people that are um, just trying to, you try to, trying to get your idea out of your head and in a visual format can be difficult. So yeah. tools like Miro are really good for that. And I like it for trying to organize my thoughts, right? Like if I'm trying to build software, I, you know, it, think about it. If, if people aren't familiar with it, it's like basically like drawing circles and stuff and organizing them. But it's like uh, using full scale as an example, it's okay. Here's full scale in the middle, but then over here, I got a bubble for like our employees and I got a bubble for our applicants and I got our a bubble for things that HR needs and whatever. And then it's like, okay, now I go to the employee one. It's like, okay, the employees need to do these features and functions that all build off of that bubble. And it just kind of keeps growing in complexity, but it, it helps you kind of start in one place and kind of grow in that complexity, kind of going different directions and kind of mapping out. And these, these are shared tools too. So like you and I could share a, a map and like yes. I could, I could, so you, and just, you can just see it almost like a waterfall. Like you, you have a box at the top that would say, um, you know, like an org chart. Well, applicant, yeah, applicants. Yeah. And then you could just literally have a bunch of people asking, okay, you say data that we need to collect. And then that's going to have a whole stream, yeah. first name, last name, address, phone number, email, you kind of go down and down and down. So, um, and then the last thing is prototyping. So prototyping could actually, if, and this is, you'll see developers and product teams sometimes do this when they need to sell something back upstream. So you might, you might have stakeholders or people like founders, CEOs, COOs, who knows, O's. Um, you like that? The who knows O's? That's a new <laughs> question, yeah. Um, at our, at our company, we just started, but, but a prototype might, you, you might, you could see like management teams saying, Hey, we'd suggest uh, the development team might say, Hey, we suggest doing this a certain way. And they try to explain it. And they're like, well, that sounds good, but could you maybe do a basic prototype, which is just a rickety example of how something could work. And then you're going to kind of visually see it. Or in some cases, prototypes might be that beta. Uh, they might turn into that beta that you just kind of test and see what's up. You'll see some platforms will ask you to opt in. They'll be like, do you want to see our early releases of our imperfect shit? And that you might be looking at prototypes and they're looking for feedback. They want to see how people use it, what people use it for and stuff like that. So prototypes to me are, are really important. And I, I, the other thing we haven't mentioned, I think goes along with this a little bit is like user UX, like uh, mock-ups and like wireframing and stuff like that, which kind of goes along the same lines of, of prototyping. But as a software developer, if you're a really good software developer, <clears throat> you can do like 80 to 90% of a project in like 10% of the time. Like just basic, like I got it working 
and it does something and I can show it to you. Now the challenge is finishing like the last 10 to 20% of the functionality actually takes like 80 or 90% of the time. Cause it's like, Oh, we didn't test any of it. We didn't design it for security. We didn't make it perform. We didn't, we didn't do all these other things that are all the little details and minutia of the requirements that take forever. But just like, Hey, I imported some shit into the database and I threw together a little screen that shows something and it kind of shows how it could work. You can throw that together really fast. Yeah, And I, that's the part where prototyping is super valuable. Now getting that like production ready and all the little shit figured out takes forever, but that prototyping can be really valuable. And the reason why is most people are very, very visual and you can explain to them like, Oh, we could do this thing. And they just don't really get it, even though they act like they get it until they actually see it and can touch it and feel it. Then all of a sudden it, the light bulb will go off. And that's where UX like a uh, wireframing and using those kinds of tools along with actually building real prototypes very quickly is super valuable. If you ever build an MVP, it was a prototype. And then you think you think you're ready to ship the product, but you really need to spend like 90% more of the time <laughs> because it's not really production ready. If the last 20% takes as much as the first 80%, technically that's the second 50%, not the yes. last 20%. Yeah. And that's usually why software to... development takes twice as long as you think it's going to take. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, that... oh, we have no idea how to deploy this thing to production. That's that's like, that's like all the kind of shit that's hidden, right? In the last part of it. And I want to remind everyone listening that until you've built it, until you know more about it, uh, you're not an expert at it. So there's a lot of trial and error that goes yeah. into this. And that's part of the process. And and sometimes you have to redefine, right? man, I've redefined a ton of requirements. Because sometimes you think you have what you need. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, we were close. And now we got to do it again. So, okay. So, so much of this info comes uh, from feedback related to users. And those users might be your clients. They could be, I mean, their users could be a number. Of, it's the people that are using the software. So Matt, how do you set the balance between giving users what they want and then, or how you want to build it? Well, so over the years, I've used various like uh, idea feedback portals and stuff, right? So you can log in and you can like give ideas and vote on other people's ideas. And, and th those are a great way to sort of crowdsource, you know, ideas and, and feature ideas. The problem with it, though, is most, most people ignore that stuff. Like they don't actually go through those platforms and do any of the ideas. So then you just piss all your customers off because they spend all this time voting on ideas and you don't do any of them. They're like, for the last three years, the number one thing on your idea board has been XYZ and you still haven't done it. What the hell is wrong with you? And it's like, man, we should have never even had an idea board. So if you're going to have one, which are which is awesome, you better do some of the shit on there is the point. No, I agree. I agree. I think that I'm going to go back to the point of adding and building things should need to create, they need to help you sell more or spend less, preferably both. Um, and you know, sometimes making things simple, easy, and organized is the equivalent of saving. At, um, at the end saving. of the day, you, you got to spend time talking to your customers and your users to get constant feedback, but you also have to take with a grain of salt, everything they, they tell you, because you have some users that are really stupid and you have some users that have really bad ideas. And at the end of the day, you've got to mold that into what your product and like somebody like Henry Ford would have said something like really famous. Like if I asked everybody what they wanted, they would say like a faster horse, right? Not a car, you know? And, and that's true. That's what happens. You get customers that ask for really crazy things that don't align to what you want the product to be and do where you want to go long-term. 
And the, the thing is, you can get very easily distracted by all those little things. And so you have to take their feedback, but take it with a grain of salt. So we talked in the planning phase about what buy or build meant. And part of defining requirements is also, is also determining whether to buy or build a product. And yeah. there's, uh, so what does that even mean? Well, we're in this world of, of inter-platform connectivity. And, you know, over the last 10 years, especially, it became kind of a must that any software platform be able to connect to other software platforms. And there's even tools like, like Zapier that exist to help assess the uh, streamline connections between different software products. If you're selling a SaaS product and especially something that's like a business to business thing, you are going to invariably have a ton of users that use a wide variety of stuff and there's tools that might need to connect to it. And like, you can't integrate with everything. And, and, you know, like some of it is even just your own functionality internally. You know, it's like, do I want to spend all this time building a calendar when maybe Google has one I can put in there? Or, I mean, it's just a lot of different, I mean, I, I, this is such an endless sea of options. It's difficult to even give too many examples because they're everywhere. Well, the build, the build versus buy thing is very important. And it, 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 it rears its head in all, all over the place, right? No different than a software developer is like, oh, I want to do this thing with machine learning. Should I set up all my own servers to do, figure out how to do machine learning and become an nope. expert of how to do that? Or should I go to like Amazon Web Services and use their hosted machine learning thing and just click the easy button? Like, I, but I had, um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day who was an entrepreneur, a business owner, and they wanted to create some kind of software that had to do with selling training. Like she wanted to build some training platform and sell her training to people. And she's like, Oh, I need this learning management system and I can't find one. And I think I need to build one. Can you help me build one? I'm like, dude, no, if you build one, you will spend the next like two years trying to do this. You will have wasted like a million dollars and this will have all burned and failed. And it's a terrible idea. The key is she needed to define her requirements and do like real market research. And she could have found something that would have be a learning management system to do it. The thing is, and the reason I bring this up is you may have to give up on some of your requirements. It may not be the perfect thing, but if it will do like 80%, 90% of what you need it to do, and you can give up a couple of those requirements, you can find something. So I told her, I'm like, you can find something off the shelf. It may not be perfect, but you know what? You can start selling training in probably 30 or 60 days, or you spend the next two years trying to build the perfect system and you fail. If you find yourself saying it doesn't do everything I need, that might be a sign that you're about to build something that you should buy. Cause yeah. I mean, there's, I, I've run into that with so many different things. We use Gigabook a lot as an example. And I've talked to users who are like, it does 90% of what I needed to do. You did real well. Yeah. Really well. <laughs> Good job. Really well. Congrats. And I'll be, I, I'll respond. I'll say, that's great. Congratulations. And they're kind of like, what? There's, I mean, it's, it, there's, especially if you have kind of niche needs, you know, like you're definitely not going to find something at the same time. Like you mentioned, like the, the learning software, people will reach out to me all the time. They'll be like, Hey man, so my, my uh, cousin's a hairdresser and I think she'd love Gigabook. How do I get her started? And I'm like, send her to a platform that specializes in bookings for salons. Cause it'll be a better user experience. You know, yeah. it's like you want some, there's some things that are built to do certain things and some things that are built to do others. And in some cases, I mean, man, there's a endless sea. You will be shocked 
at, at, at how many things people have built solutions for. Okay. So Matt, last thing before you wrap up this episode. So we, we mentioned earlier that oftentimes there are conflicting ideas between stakeholders, developers, all of that. Um, do you have any tips when it comes to like dealing with or smoothing out those? Like, uh, you know, I mean, I, and I mean, for me, sometimes it's just back to that role assignment and like someone's got to make the decision. So who's that going to be? Sometimes the hardest part is getting people to make a decision, you know, or people yeah. think they want to do too many things and you can't get them to settle on like, no, these are the two or three most important things and we're going to focus on them. The hardest part as a, as a management team is if everybody has different ideas and everybody wants to go different directions and that can be the death to your product, right? Like, Hey, we need to, we need to beat our competition, but instead of focusing on beating our competition or having an industry leading product, we're totally distracted and we don't know what we want to do and, or we want to be too many things for too many people. And you got it. Somebody has to have the vision, have the product vision of where we're trying to go. This is our North star. Maybe nobody, maybe not everybody agrees, but this is the North star and this is where we're going to go. And you and I have had some of these conversations before about rocks. You're like, you had a vision for where you wanted to go. And maybe sometimes I don't hundred percent agree, but it's like, Hey, you're the, you're the visionary here and everybody's got to get in line and follow you at some point. If you don't have somebody who has that product vision in your company for this product, for this team, for whatever, you're in trouble. Somebody has to have the product vision of where it's going to go. And somebody at the end of the day has got to make the final decisions and force rank. Like, hey, these are the two or three things we can focus on. Everything else is a distraction. Let's go. If you can't do that, you're you're in the corporate world probably. <laughs> well, I agree. And sometimes you just got to, like you said, that some if you're the founder or the owner, you just make the call. And and I'll yeah. tell people, I'll say like, hey, look, someone's got to make this decision and I'm going to make it right now. This is what we, I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And that way, if it and if it fails, then I'll take responsibility that's for That's really it. important. Yeah. That's really important because some you're you're better off making a decision and doing something than yep. just standing still and making no decision yep. because maybe maybe you and I don't agree but if we never do anything we just sit and we we don't yeah. move anywhere but maybe we say okay Matt fine we'll we'll do it your way and then a month later we figured out it was totally wrong and we're like okay fine now we'll do it your way we'll go the other and, way yeah and well and th and that's the thing that's the key to having a mature sophisticated team like because yeah. just like you mentioned like. I mean, neither one of us have ever wanted to be the blocker for progress, but you know, sometimes you try things and it doesn't work out. Just and you learn. Try something different, make it stretch yep. your bit. So first, if you don't make a decision, you just go nowhere. Kind of like the decision of trying to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, which is much easier to do when you let FullScale help. We have the people on the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. Average developer at FullScale has seven years of experience, Matt. In the world of tech, that's like dog years. So that's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Full scale, we specialize in building long-term teams that only work for you. That's important. People that wake up every day and want to solve the problems that your business needs to solve. You learn more when you go to fullscale.io. You know, Matt, I, you were on fire this episode, man. You had a lot of, lot of really good stuff. It's almost like you've done this before. I have. And, and building software is really hard. I think that's the key takeaway here. It's really hard and you can overcomplicate it. Like we, we talked about all these like functional, non-functional, there's like 20 different things we spouted off. If you sit around and worry about the detail of all 20 of those for everything you do, you'll never, you'll never do anything. Right. 
And that's why agile development is popular. You know, it's just trying to, you know, quickly identify what we need to do and doing it and then adjusting and continuing to refine it and continuing to move forward. Because otherwise, if you focus on all these like details and you try and plan out like weeks and months in advance, like you just get it all wrong anyways. You get halfway halfway through it and you figure out like all the assumptions were wrong. And, and the thing about software development, at, at most times, it's just controlled chaos. That's what it is. And you just have to try things, figure out this doesn't work. It didn't perform. The user didn't like it, whatever. And you just have to adapt. You have to be agile. I agree. I think that the... The defining requirements thing is sometimes hard for me as the CEO because having a vision and defining the requirements of it are two different things. And I, you know, with the invention and the increased prominence of product managers and owners uh, in the software development lifecycle, it's a great role. And I got to say that adding that to our team when building full scales platform made a huge difference because having someone that can, that you can kind of, that kind of rides in the sidecar and you can say they, they really do own the product. They understand what it needs to do, how it needs to do. And you can talk to them very quickly. Like Julie will sit there and she just takes a million notes. And I always make fun of her because she writes in like one point font. <laughs> um, and, and that's always, uh, you know, kind of interesting, uh, you know, with that, with that, uh, that, that turns into the product requirements. It turns into the roadmap and we review that stuff and it may, it's made it a lot easier because I mean, truly defining requirements in a way that is done well. Um, it's, it can, depending on how much stuff you have to outline and measure and, and draw up, I mean, it can, it, it can be a time consuming process. So, you know, find someone that's good at doing that um, if you're struggling to do it, because it will make a huge difference on how quickly things get done and the quality at which they get done as well as, and, and even just simple stuff about, uh, you know, you get a, a good leader in there to help with you. They will also, um, very, very much, uh, help you establish priorities. Like they'll just get it and understand that. And, Oh, that's kind of my closing argument. There's, you know? there's yeah. so much detail work to be done. And if, you know, building software is like an assembly line and the, the product manager has to be right there feeding them the work. This is what needs to be done. This is what the most important priority is. It, it's so critical to a well-run yeah. team. You know, we're going to be back in another week, Matt. We're going to talk about designing and prototyping. And then we're almost to the part that we like, which is actual software development. I thought it was selling stuff. That's my favorite. I like selling stuff too. That's <laughs> definitely my favorite, but I can't do any of that until software designing and prototyping. We have to build something and we have, to, get test done. And we have to deploy it and then we have to operate and maintain it in a, in a, in an effective way, or we're not going to have, we're not going to, we're going to have a whole lot of hoops to jump through when it comes to selling. So, yep. Yeah. I get the shit done. I'm going to go try to sell something now that you mentioned it, man. I'll see you next week. All right. See you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.